the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Antithesis. My name is Owen Strand, and I'll be your host. Should churches require vaccine passports? Or more generally, should churches require vaccines? To ask another question that's related, should churches separate people between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated? A recent column in the Calgary Herald by John Van Sloten asked these kind of questions and gave a definitive, clear answer. Here's what Van Sloten, a pastor in Calgary, wrote. This week, our church leadership team decided that when our church opens for live gatherings next month, all attendees 12 and older will need to be fully vaccinated. Even though it's a temporary measure, Van Sloten wrote, and there will be online alternatives and unvaccinated people will still be able to attend with proof of a recent negative COVID test, it still feels wrong. Churches should never turn people away, should they? What we're getting in this column by John Van Sloten, a pastor I've not heard of, uh, writing for the Calgary Herald, is a direct answer, one of the clearest positive answers to the question, should churches require vaccine passports? Right from the start, Van Sloten is arguing, yes, it is right to do so. We're going to look at this brief column in detail, and then I'm going to give you some summary thoughts in light of it, as we as Christians today in 2021, with much flying at us, try to handle the vexing matter of vaccines. Lots of us are trying to answer hard questions. A few weeks ago, I did a podcast about should you be uh, vaccinated if your employer or the government mandates that. And many of you will know that I took the line that you are not compelled to be vaccinated if your employer says you must be, or if the government does, you can do so. I was clear about that. I don't have grounds for knowing categorically that a given vaccine is wrong in a sinful sense, but I do think that we need to be very careful in how we address this. And I do not think, I'll say this at the outset and build the case engaging with this article as we go, that you should be compelled to take the vaccine. And I don't think that churches should force this on their members. So I'm going to, if this isn't clear enough already, disagree strongly with what Van Sloten has argued in the Calgary Herald. He goes on to say this, the moment we accommodate the unvaccinated, we alienate those who want to shield their unvaccinated children, immunocompromised individuals who are still vulnerable to breakthrough infections, and anyone else who'd rather avoid the risk. Either way, Van Sloten writes, we make a choice. So our little faith community has decided to side with the majority of civic-minded, science-trusting Calgarians for practical and theological reasons. 
This is a very important passage of this piece. Should churches require vaccine passports? The burden is placed on the unvaccinated for making the vaccinated and immunocompromised individuals and anyone else who'd rather avoid the risk, according to Van Sloten, comfortable. The unvaccinated are the ones, in other words, who have to give. They have to yield. They, they have to put others uh, before them. But immunocompromised individuals and those who want to shield their unvaccinated children and, again, anyone else who would rather avoid the risk, they are in the clear. They can do as they see fit. Their conscience, then, basically, is that which is ruling the thinking of Van Sloten and his church leadership team. I want you to think of this briefly, say more on this in response in a minute, in light of Leviticus 13, 45 to 46, with regard to leprosy. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Why cite Leviticus 13, 45 to 46 in this conversation in the 21st century about vaccines? Because, as friends pointed out to me in recent conversations, the Bible actually does deal with very serious illnesses that can spread among peoples, among the Israelites in particular. And in Leviticus 13, the policy that is put into place is that the one who is leprous needs to be outside the camp. So if we were working to build a general principle from texts like this, we would say that it is those who are immunocompromised, not out of any malice, uh, but only out of love, who would want to separate from the flock for a time. Not because this is merely an option, not because this is something ideal, but because we want to care well for them. And if they are a believer, a member of the church, we can assume that they would want to care well for the flock. So our society has not abided by this principle for the last year and a half, to put that very simply. Many uh, nations and countries have not abided by this principle. Not all. But a good number of countries out there, including folks who are listening to this podcast in their daily experience, have instead quarantined the healthy uh, in order to protect the sick. We, as Christians, should want to do what we can to help the sick. But that does not mean in biblical terms that you quarantine the healthy. Uh, the reverse is, is true. You quarantine the sick in order that they will be protected as much as they can be protected. We're not operating here, of course, from the standpoint that the church can perfectly protect the immunocompromised. We know uh, that different people are at risk from coronavirus. We know uh, beyond this season and this virus that there are individuals in a given assembly, a given congregation, who face health risks of various kinds. And so they are not in a uh, risk-free zone in general, in terms of the way they live their life. There is nothing we can do as the church to risk-proof their life. There's nothing we can do to risk-proof our own life. Let's say we are a person who has enjoyed historically really good health. We are, we are those who try to live wisely and circumspectly before the Lord, but none of us can risk-proof our life. 
So there is an expectation that seems to be operating in broader society and many contexts today and increasingly in the local church that is not a reasonable expectation. It is right to love your neighbor. It is right to submit to government. But you are going to have to recognize that you cannot make a church environment risk-proof and you certainly cannot make your own life risk-proof. What you can do is live wisely. Living wisely is not determined by you and me. It's not determined by a secular body. It's not determined by government officials. It's not even determined by church officials. Living wisely has already been staked out. It's staked out in Scripture, in the Word of God, the inerrant, authoritative, sufficient, and morally perfect Word of God. So I would uh, argue back to Van Sloten uh, in a in a friendly sense, but a, a serious sense, that actually the burden is not on uh, those who are healthy uh, to quarantine. The burden is on those who are immunocompromised to quarantine. And even in doing so, again, tragically, death could strike. Real effects could attain to any one of us in this uncertain and fallen world. And we grieve that. Let's be very clear. Even as we take whatever position we take on the matter of COVID or any other disease, We're not responding out of hatred of the other side. I certainly am not. In trying to address questions of various kinds related to masks, related to vaccines, related to how Christians live in uncertain times with ascendant governments who are taking rights for themselves that in many cases they do not have, we are not trying to win over the other side in a debate alone. We are trying to act out of love. We as Christians want the good of others, especially the good of the church. Uh, So we're not engaging in a zero-sum argument in order to win it. We're trying to think well, even as we take a stand, even as we figure out our stance, which is no easy thing. As much as we can militarize and take our stance, and I am all for taking a stance, as listeners of this humble little podcast will know, it is also essential that where we are trying to put things together and where scripture has not clearly spoken, there is a real need for humility and charity and carefulness. Let's continue on with Van Sloten's article. He writes this, theologically, the argument is stronger. To be a Christian is to model one's life after Christ. Jesus always put others first. He gave up his individual rights for the common good and sacrificed for the sake of the weak. Van Sloten writes, he loved others as he loved himself and would surely have done anything to best protect the unvaccinated children in his neighborhood. A Christian ethic always puts the vulnerable first. This is probably the toughest part of the argument to take for me. Jesus always put others first, yes, depending on what you mean by that. Uh, That doesn't mean what I would assume some people would be intending to argue there. In other words, Jesus did not have this policy of indiscriminately addressing everybody the same way. Um, Jesus was consummately and perfectly humble and self-effacing and other-centered. But that meant different responses in different situations. Jesus responded differently to little children um, than he did pharisaical leaders, for example. Jesus responded differently to those living in sin than he did uh, tender members of his followers, his flock. Jesus loved perfectly, but love does not look like what the world necessarily thinks it will look like. 
So I don't know Van Sloten's worldview and doctrine, but there seems to be a kind of generic vision of Jesus' love here that I don't think is nearly biblically defined enough. And then there's a a very problematic statement here uh, when Van Sloten writes that Jesus would have done anything to best protect the unvaccinated children in his neighborhood. I, I don't even really know what to make of such a statement. Jesus, Jesus never engaged with unvaccinated children, and we need to be exceptionally careful about assuming that we know how Jesus would have engaged in any situation when Scripture does not directly tell us how Jesus engaged in a given situation. We can know that Jesus would have been perfectly wise <laughs> regarding vaccines and regarding how to live among the vaccinated and the unvaccinated and how to handle, for example, uh, a government that was mandating things that it did not have the right to mandate. Jesus would have responded to that kind of situation, those kind of situations perfectly. He would have uh, lived with love and wisdom and conviction, and we can know that. But this is reading in your views to the life of Jesus, and that is a very dangerous thing to do. Somebody out there who's a Christian or professing Christian leader may well believe that Jesus would have taken certain steps to protect unvaccinated children. I'm not saying there's no argument you can try to make, but you need to be exceptionally careful about assuming that you know what Jesus would have done when Scripture does not address that situation. I don't think Van Sloten is nearly careful enough here, and I think he extends his argument in biblical terms, Christological terms, beyond what it can bear. Jesus got crucified. Jesus came not to execute a health mission in obeisance to Rome. Jesus came in order to die on the cross, rise again from the grave, and save his people, to make a new exodus uh, for his people. That is why Jesus came. And frankly, There are all sorts of hard questions about the life of Christ that are not answered. How would Jesus have engaged with the medical community? Would Jesus himself have been vaccinated? Interesting question to ask, not a wrong question to ask, but you want to be extremely careful to repeat myself about taking a modern question and then grafting it neatly and cleanly onto the life of Christ and assuming that your answer to that question, your read on how Jesus would have responded is necessarily the right one. And that is what Van Sloten does here. That is the crucial error he makes. If you believe people should be vaccinated, uh, if you believe your church should be vaccinated, make your case, but don't make it in this way. This is not a careful making or formation of the case. He goes on to say this, a Christian worldview historically has also been very pro-science. Shouldn't Christians be first in line when it comes to celebrating God's good gifts of vaccines? And then uh, he concludes along these lines as follows. Vaccines are a life-saving gift from God. Getting a shot is a step of faith we should all be taking. Well, that makes it abundantly clear. This is indeed a ledge uh, on which Van Sloten has gone out. Getting a shot, he says, in decisive, declarative terms, is a step of faith we should all be taking. So because he believes that vaccines save lives, everybody should get the vaccine without exception, 
and he is now structuring his church along those lines. If you are an unvaccinated person, then you are clearly not following what Van Sloten believes you should be doing. And I would assume that there will be other implications of this in the life of his church and churches that uh, act in similar terms. Uh, all attendees, just to repeat the policy here at this church in Calgary, Alberta, in Canada, all attendees 12 and older need to be fully vaccinated when this church reopens, he says, next month. So that means basically to answer the question uh, put in the headline of the piece that churches should require vaccine passports. So in order to uh, attend the live gathering of the church, if you're following the policy lined out in this article, then yes, you need to have been vaccinated. And I would assume you need to have a vaccine passport that you can produce and show as proof of vaccination if you are 12 and older. So at risk of overstating this, let me put this as simply as I can. In order to attend church as an adult, or a teen, you need to be vaccinated and you need a vaccine passport. Those are the rules because Christians are pro-science. Jesus would have done it to protect others. And the burden of decisional behavior lies on the unvaccinated, not on those who need to take steps to protect perhaps immunocompromised systems. John Van Sloten is the pastor at Marta Loop Church. And you can find this article online if you wish to read it for your own. I believe that we should actually consider different sides of this case. In responding to Van Sloten on this podcast, I am not assuming neatly and clean, cleanly from the outset that everybody will agree with me, that every gray area is handled uh, the second it is raised, that there are no hard questions that Christians face in the life of the local church with regard to vaccines or masks or other decrees related to COVID and anything else that may come down the pike. I have tried to say this on previous podcasts, and I want you to hear it again. We as the church in 2021 across the world are facing hard challenges today. There are gray areas. There are issues that we work to settle well in our mind and our heart, building from the word of God, moving from the clear, the word of God, to the less clear, the complex ethical uh, and life situational uh, matters we face. So we are not those as Christians who automatically assume that if we have an opinion, it is necessarily descended from the heavens. We want to try to handle gray areas well and with charity and thoughtfully and build the best biblical case we can. Now, what I have said overlaps with how some Christians and some churches have handled things and then doesn't overlap because I do believe that there are things that are less clear that we face in this life, okay? But then I don't move from there to try to keep things in the zone of lack of clarity. I'm always trying to work as a Christian from the clear scripture, the revelation of God, to the less clear, the gray areas you and I face. That is is a humbling reality. Friends, before I dive into my points of response more formally to Van Sloten and those who would make his argument that churches should require vaccine passports, I want to uh, uh, say that one more time. It is a humbling reality to be a creature. 
we are creatures as as redeemed followers of Christ. Yes, we have the mind of Christ, but we have not been divinized in redemption. We are not perfect as God is perfect. Even into the new heavens and new earth for all eternity, we will never become God. Only God is God. There was a line drawn between the creator and the creation, including the apex of creation, humanity, on the sixth day. And that line obtained in the fall, and that line obtains in redemption, and that line will obtain beyond all time in eternity as we live forever with God in the new heavens and new earth. The line between creator and creation, and extending that creature, redeemed creature, will, will obtain forever. There is never a point at which that line, the creator-creature distinction, to use Van Til's term, is going to collapse. It will never collapse. And this is part of, frankly, sometimes what we feel in frustrating terms in this life. It is hard to be a creature. Don't you feel that? It's not easy to not be God. Guess what? You and I are not God. That means that we have to live in humility. We have to live in carefulness. We have to live in discernment. We will, frankly, err. We will say things imperfectly. We will live imperfectly. To sharpen the language in moral terms, we will sin against God. We will get things wrong, even woefully wrong at times. We pray, of course, those aren't the patterns of our life. If the pattern of our life is unbroken sin and wrongdoing and lack of wisdom, something is very much wrong in our Christian walk as a believer. And then in a more concerning sense, there may be a point as, uh, as we track our behavior or the behavior of somebody who's a professing Christian where we start to ask the question, does this person who professes Christ truly know him? So we have these categories. But even with that said, to be a faithful follower of Christ is a humbling reality. And in a world where there is a good deal of murkiness and a lack of clarity on matters like the ones we are discussing here. Should we take the vaccine? What is the right posture to vaccine passports? How does the church handle major disagreement on these hard questions? We need to go back to first principles and we need to think humbly and charitably and recognize our own limits. None of that means that we don't take a stand. None of that means that we fail to do the hard work to put biblical texts together synthesize them. That is basically what this podcast is about, synthesizing biblical texts as we face the world and try to live in it well for the glory of God. That's basically all we try to do here. It's a simple mission, and we pray we do it to the best of our ability. All of this means that we are thinking unto God, thinking quorum Deo, in order that we would live unto God quorum Deo. But that is easy to write in a blog post. And on a uh, tweet, it is hard to live out in reality. Let me now give you, transitioning, seven thoughts in response to this article from John Van Sloten in Canada. First, we are pro-science as believers. We are pro-science because we are pro-thinking. God is the one who has made the human mind. So we are not scared fundamentally of thought and of disciplines like science. Now, we rightly frame science, 
We don't believe that science rules the world or explains all things. We recognize that science is fundamentally not a worldview. It is fundamentally a method, the scientific method. It's a, it's a hypothesis testing exercise. And wherever uh, scientific inquiry discovers truth, we're not scared of that truth as Christians. We, in fact, welcome it. We're thankful for it because we recognize this world is not a secular world. It did not begin with a big bang. It began with a creator making it by his word in six days and resting on the seventh. So believers are thankful, extending this point just quickly for uh, medication. We are thankful for forms of treating our bodies. We're thankful for the things we learn about uh, the world that God has made. And in that sense, we are pro-science, but we are not pro-scientism. We are not believing that science or the medical community or the scientific community, uh, which is at least influenced by a secular worldview in many respects, historically in the West, has everything right and hands down edicts in a secular form that we must follow. We think about all things. We test every system. We think according to scripture. And if something is proven and tested and verified, then we have reasonable grounds for trusting it in this world. But we need to line out very carefully at the outset what it means to be pro-science. It does not mean that if the medical community comes to some kind of consensus, then we automatically assume that is effectively a word from the heavens. That is not how we respond. Second, we do not know what Jesus would have done regarding vaccines and certainly vaccine passports. I believe you could probably, if you were trying to make a case on both sides, you could probably make a case that Jesus would have been vaccinated, uh, at least in, in terms of different illnesses, and you can probably make a case that he wouldn't have been. The scripture is uh, not clear on this issue. So I, and any I can influence, am going to be exceptionally careful about telling you what Jesus would have done regarding scientific practices, including vaccines, including medicine. I am not frankly sure. I'm not sure how Jesus handled carpentry, his chosen profession and trade, his vocation. Um, if Jesus could have taken aspirin each day for his aches and pains, would he have done so? Uh, how many aspirin would he have taken? Would he have taken six aspirin a day as a carpenter or would he have taken two? Would he have only taken one per week? Would he have taken none ever? I don't know. I have no means of knowing. And I am not going to try to bind your conscience by my understanding of Jesus and aspirin. So I'm going to be really careful along these lines about reading my views into the life of Christ. God forbid you and I would do that. God forbid that we would say Jesus would have done this with regard to a gray area where it's not clear. Perhaps we can make an argument that we would believe that Jesus would do this or Jesus would have us do this, but even that we're going to be very careful about what we are going to uh, make explicitly, abundantly evident is what Jesus did teach and what Jesus did do. You see, if you're not very careful, if you're not sound in your doctrine, if your church is not a sound church, here is what you are going to do. You are going to make biblical truth unclear and you are going to make your truth very clear. That is really the original temptation that Satan presented to Adam and Eve. He destabilized the word of God, or rather tried to, 
and he made his own anti-wisdom clear. I don't know John Van Sloten's heart. I've just heard of him uh, this week. I can't pass uh, a comment on his ministry. Therefore, I'll refrain from doing so. But I know this, what Van Sloten does in this argument, in this article, is what is very easy for any fallen creature to do and what Satan himself specializes in. Not making a formal equivalency there in necessary terms, but I will say that it is a very problematic uh, reality to not focus on what scripture focuses on, which many churches do not, professing churches, and then build a new law that God has not clearly said in its place. That is not only dangerous, that is wrong. That does not glorify the Lord. That misleads people. Really, it leads people, as time goes on, into a different faith, a faith that is driven by humanity and not by the word of God. So we don't know what Jesus would have done regarding vaccines. And if somebody tells you they do know, you should run in the opposite direction. Third, many believers have concerns about the vaccines for several reasons. This is not simply a matter that, uh, that you can solve in a one-minute or three-minute article, the time it takes you to read it. The vaccine has not been tested over the long haul. Uh, I saw reports that it will not have all the studies it needs to be fully um, uh, uh, spoken to till 2023, I believe. I'm, I'm speaking off the top of my head here, but the point that I did clearly see yesterday being made is that, yes, the vaccine from Pfizer, for example, is being tested in various forms, but the vaccine from Pfizer has not gone through the full-scale rigorous process necessary to assume that it is fully tested. So the vaccine is not proven over time. Some among us medical professionals are telling us that the vaccine is proven, but there is much that is not proven in terms of long-term trials with control groups and so on and so forth. We also know under this third point that the vaccine has had adverse health effects for many. A good number of people have died from various forms of the vaccine. Uh, other people have had uh, major responses to the vaccine and uh, face potentially long-term uh, all of their life conditions because of the vaccine. So I'm a little, I'm not a little, I'm very surprised to see uh, a professing pastor make the vaccine out to be this seamless uh experience when it, frankly, whether you're pro-vax or not, has not been for different people. There needs to be a good deal more carefulness if you are pro-vax in how you present the case. And you should, in, in no seasons, be excluding uh, negative effects of the vaccine from your presentation. That shows me, if you're making an argument, not just about this matter, but any matter, that you are not fully confident. Because if you don't fairly present the opposite side, including data that would seem to contradict what you say, you're not really presenting the strongest case for your view. You're presenting a weak case for your view. We know as well that the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines were developed with fetal cell lines. And that is concerning to many of us who are Christians who in no way want aborted babies to be used in medical research. Here is what 
an online outlet called Nebraska Med, has written on this subject. When it comes to the Pfizer and Moderna COVID-19 vaccines, fetal cell line HEK293 was used during the research and development phase. All HEK293 cells are descended from tissue taken from a 1973 abortion that took place in the Netherlands. Another online outlet, Science Magazine, in June 2020, uh, has pointed out that um, cells, fetal cells from abortions have been used since the 60s, quote, to manufacture vaccines, excuse me, including current vaccines against rubella, chickenpox, hepatitis A, and shingles. They've also been used to make approved drugs against diseases, including hemophilia, rheumatoid arthritis, and cystic fibrosis. So, wow, this is a complicated matter in itself, is it not? This this is not something that for many of us, you'll be able to wave a wand and make any concerns disappear because there have been fetal cell lines, according to Nebraska Med, used in the research and development phase of Pfizer and Moderna COVID vaccines. That concerns many of us, especially those of us who oppose abortion to the full, who see it as abhorrent. We are not able uh, to take that aforementioned wand and say, oh, there's no concerns here because it's uh, neighbor love to simply take this and it's, it's, it's great. This is all driven by science and God is pro-science, so take it without any further thought. No, there is a great deal to think about here. I don't want to support the use of fetal tissue, fetal cell lines in any sense. I will admit, having said that, that there are going to be hard questions we face along these lines. If your kids are facing chickenpox, should you not get them vaccinated because of fetal cell lines? Uh, if, if somebody in your family has cystic fibrosis, should they never have any form of treatment that has any engagement, any interaction with fetal cell lines? I can tell you this, trying to reason from the clear to the less clear. I want to do everything possible to not take vaccines or potential cures or lines of treatment that stem from abortions. I want to go to the fullest possible uh, place on the map away from abortion in any treatment I get medically. Now, I will say this as well, that's not necessarily as easy as it can sound because frankly, our world in many cases in the medical community is a great deal more ethically murky than we would want it to be. And we can't live in a perfect world where there is no ethical murkiness. We can only live in this one. I believe in some that it is understandable let me synthesize here, for many believers to not want to be vaccinated on these grounds. I believe that is a principled view that is not ridiculous, that is instead actually sound in many respects. I will personally stop short of telling uh, members of the church or Christians, including on this podcast, that they should never be vaccinated where there is any connection to elective abortions, I will say you should go to the fullest possible extent not to undertake uh, treatment plans, treatments, vaccines that have connection to abortion. 
we would pray that we would have as, as absolutely little connection there as possible. But it is going to be hard, harder than we might like to admit in some cases, uh, to draw those lines. Nonetheless, the, the bottom line principle on this third matter here is that it is fully understandable to me in a way that is not at all treated in this article by Van Sloten for believers to say the fetal cell lines that were used in the research and development of this vaccine cause me serious moral quandaries, and that pushes me away from taking the vaccine. I believe that is a defensible and even reasonable position for many Christians. I don't, in, in saying that, indicate that that is the only position. There are going to be gray areas here, but I want to make that clear. And that nuance, that qualification is not found in this article, and I don't often see it referenced in these discussions. In too many cases, Christians simply say we should love neighbor or simply say we should submit to the government, and they don't even address the kind of concerns, which are serious concerns that I just raised. And I do not believe that is right. And while I do not believe that pushes us into an either-or conclusion, I, I will say that I understand strongly how many Christians would have serious concerns about taking the vaccine. In fact, that is my own position. Fourth, there are other treatments uh, for COVID, and many people recover naturally from it. And as many folks online have pointed out, in my circles at least, this is barely ever mentioned as well in discussions of uh, responding to COVID. The fact that over, well over 99% of people recover from this virus. I'm not going to go into an epidemiological discussion here. I don't have time for that, nor am I qualified to discuss that at length. But I will simply say that the case that Van Sloten presents makes it seem as if there is only one response to the, to the uh, virus, to, the, to, to COVID. And I don't think that's at all true. A ton of people, myself included, have gotten COVID and have recovered naturally. There are also treatments like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and others that have been used. And according to different reports that are out there uh, publicly and in my own circles, those treatments have been used to great effectiveness and have even saved people's lives. And so I find it very strange that we are effectively commanded to take the vaccine as if there is no other form of treatment for this virus. And I, by the way, believe that COVID is something real. And I know that people have suffered from it. And I know that uh, people in my circles have died from it. So I don't disdain this matter. I don't wave a hand at it. I, I believe it has been vastly overblown in the Western media, in global media, but I also think there is something here that we must handle and handle with care. A ton of people recover naturally from it. Others will use different treatments that are not the vaccine for it. And I, for one, find it very strange when, for example, a so-called faith leader would present this matter as if there is only one way to respond to the threat of this virus. In fact, there are many ways, and there is a huge discussion over whether the vaccine is effective at all. I can't answer that authoritatively and will not try, but that is a viable conversation and one we should very much pay attention to. And if we don't need to mandate the vaccine in health terms, then we shouldn't. I, of course, don't believe that we should 
in biblical terms, because fifth, the individual has jurisdiction over their own body. I believe this in biblical terms. I've made this case in two separate podcasts on vaccines, vaccine mandates, and mask mandates. You can find those uh, on your on your own time, in your free time. But to quickly represent that case, the church does not own the body of the members, nor does the government, nor does an employer. It is true, of course, that in the case of the government, it builds roads and that influences where our bodies go. So we can confess some interplay here. Nonetheless, a sound government doesn't want jurisdiction over individual bodies and doesn't try to take those, uh, those rights from people. Nor does a sound church. Now, a pastoral team may believe that there is a course of action that is wisest for its members on these kind of counts. But a sound church, in my view, only seeks to bind people where the scripture binds them. And a sound church and sound elders, sound pastors recognize that the church does not rule the body and the bodily decisions of the members. There are going to be times when church members act unwisely with their bodies. And so pastors and elders will speak into that, but they will only speak into the situations of members in bodily terms where there is a biblical call, not where there is a jump ball conscience issue and the given elder or pastor demands conformity to their view. Church leaders need to be very careful about mandating a position on a gray area like vaccine passports. And I believe this is also true of masks. Churches, I believe, should not mandate mask use in worship because scripture has not mandated it. And if someone says, well, we're trying to submit to government, we should submit in everything to government except where we're in cases of sin. Well, the government does not regulate worship. And I actually believe if the government is mandating certain practices in worship, it is basically infringing on the rights of the church and it is encroaching into sinful territory in that respect. So sixth, and to really drive this podcast to its concluding synthetical point, we should not divide the church between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. I think this is consummately unwise. I would very much encourage you as a pastor or an elder facing hard questions in 2021 to do everything you can to not have the body divided between those who have taken the vaccine and those who have not. These will be discussions in the life of the church, and I do believe you can teach and preach about conscience matters, and I do believe you can try to help walk your people through these complex ethical Uh, situations that we are all facing. I'm not saying pretend this doesn't exist. I don't mean that. But I do mean that you have enough of a mandate as a pastor or elder to try to protect the flock and lead the flock into the truth and separate the flock from falsehood and sin. That is plenty enough for you to focus on in terms of division in terms of discernment. And you should very much not add to the word of God and not add a new status to church membership that is not found there, vaccinated and unvaccinated. 
Now, that is not a hard thing to say on a podcast. This is going to be harder to work out in practice in actual local churches where opinions will vary and people will have different convictions along these lines. But at the very least, I would encourage you not to do what Van Sloten and his team has done and essentially mandate the vaccine and vaccine passports. I believe that is not sound. I believe that is unbiblical. And this is seventh because the vaccine is not mandated in scripture. No vaccine is. This means that on this subject, we are in Romans 14 territory, in my view. Romans 14, 13 to 14. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, discussion over food, but rather decide never to put a stumbling, stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. We could talk about this text at much greater length, but suffice it to say for our purposes as we wind this little podcast down that there are going to be Romans 14 issues that we face. And I do not believe that the vaccine is a matter of sin and righteousness. I believe that the vaccine, as clearly as I can tell, is a matter of conscience. My conscience, as I look at the data, as I consider uh, different uh, reports, pushes me away from the vaccine, gives me real concern about the vaccine because of the fetal cell issue because of uh, people responding adversely to the vaccine because of the unproven status of the vaccine in, in a long-term clinical trial sense. Others, however, are, are not convicted as I am. And so I am trying as a Christian today, even a Christian who, who wants to take a stand for biblical truth when it is clear, as it so often is, I am trying not to encourage people to divide unnecessarily. The vaccine is not mandated in scripture. And so I believe that the, the church must not bind the conscience on this matter. Because eighth and finally, what preachers and teachers do is just that. They bind people to the word. They call people to obey the word. And we as new covenant believers know that the new covenant rests upon us in Christ and so we are called to live according to the new covenant, being a people under the new covenant era and administration. But where the word gives freedom, we give freedom. Now, this is not a blithe, wave your arms in the air freedom. It is a careful and informed and convictional freedom. <laughs> Christian freedom is rarely presented in that, that way, especially in the last 10 to 15 years. Christian freedom has been basically taken to mean do anything you want to do if the scripture doesn't speak to it. That is not the form of freedom I'm talking about here. I'm talking about a careful, discerning, and informed Christian freedom. So, the word of God doesn't say, for example, you can't watch R-rated movies in 21st century America. So, does that mean I have freedom to watch anything I want? Well, I don't think so. I think I actually need to bring godliness, the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 to 23, and other moral teachings of Scripture without holiness, one, no one will see the Lord, to bear on what I watch. That means that there are complicated discussions I have to have with friends, loved ones, church authorities. I have to think this through myself in a discerning way, or matters of diet, or all sorts of what we could call lifestyle questions. My Christian freedom, though, at base, 
is never a wild and unrestrained Christian freedom. And then I get serious and sober only when it comes to what the Word of God explicitly says. No, my Christian freedom is a careful, discerning, and informed freedom. I'm seeking to live wisely, humbly, carefully in a fallen world where there are traps set for me all around me. None of this compromises actual Christian freedom. But it does mean that we must be careful as preachers and teachers of the word, far more careful than Van Sloten has been in public here, about taking a public stand where scripture has not. We're all challenged here. We're all tempted to take our opinions, read them into the life of Christ or the word of God more broadly, and then present them back to people, binding them by it. We've got to be very, very careful about that. Where the word gives freedom, we give freedom. Where the word binds, we bind. We need these kind of lined out convictions in a day like this when, as I conclude, the teachings of the word of God are not obeyed in many cases. And the teachings of the mind of man are presented as the word of God. And this even bleeds over into the ministry of the church such that churches that are softening and losing any grounding in the word of God or never had it to begin with are presenting the opinions of man and the decrees of science as if they are the words of God. And the word of God lies silent and is not applied to the life of the people. Let that not be true for us. With vaccines, with masks, let us seek to live carefully in this day and age. Let us recognize rightfully where there are conscience matters. Let us try to form the best position we can on all sorts of subjects, including the ones we're talking about here, but many others we could mention as well. But then let us, especially as preachers and teachers of the word, let us not give our commands as if they are the commands of God. Let us instead strive for the unity of the body and not have as much as we can the vaccinated seen as those who are righteous and the unvaccinated seen as those who are unrighteous. I suspect that this is where our society, Western society, perhaps global society, is going to go in days ahead. It may, it may not. God's providence is a wondrous thing, is it not? It does unexpected things. God does unexpected things in our world. We praise him for that. But if trends continue, we should expect to see unvaccinated people treated as if they are not righteous, as if they are lesser members of the church. And the word of God does no such instructing mandate for us. It tells us no such word. It does not tell us that you are a bad person or a bad Christian if you are unvaccinated. We're going to leave the mark there and pray that God will give all of us much wisdom, much humility, and much charity in these confusing times. God bless you.
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.